Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 43, our look at the future of combination therapies, plus, from the more recent vault, a section of a May 2022 episode on Nash drug development that presages the topics we discuss in this week's episode. This conversation carries over from 43.3. At the end of that conversation, Naeem Al-Khori described the logic behind the LEGEND trial, which studies PPAR agonist lenafibrinor in combination with the SGLT2 agent empagliflozin, and Mazen Nora Deans expressed some disappointment that the researchers partnered Lani with an SGL2 instead of a GLP-1 agonist or another drug with greater weight loss potential. Starting this conversation, I make two points. First, the drugs a company combines reflect strategy. A PPAR-GLIP-1 combination seems to focus more specifically on hepatic outcomes, while the PPAR-SGLT2 outcome might focus more on systemic outcomes, specifically renal and cardiovascular systems. Next, I ask what the optimal number of drugs for combination therapy might be. Mazen and Jorn Schottenberg begin to explore this question but mostly it sets the stage for the final conversation in this episode. This conversation considers in broad terms the practical, clinical, and commercial issues that will frame the future of frontline drug development for the entire range of NASH patients, focusing both on drugs and, in a sense, diagnostics. It leaves a great deal for all of us to ponder. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn or Facebook discussion groups. I think we have an unprecedented situation where we really have no drugs approved and we're thinking about combination already. In diabetes, you know, things come in waves. So, you know, we've had uh, metformin, sulfonylurea, then you had the GLP-1 agonist and the SGLT2 inhibitors, and then you find a place for them. But this is very unique. If you think about what's coming, hopefully in the near future, I mean, we have two drugs that are maybe getting FDA approval. One is obedocolic acid and the other one is resmeterone. And if you think about them, you know, obedocolic acid has efficacy on fibrosis, but it has the issue with the increase in LDL. And then resmeterone has efficacy on NASH, but we haven't seen fibrosis efficacy in terms of histology, although we've seen some NIT data uh, that looks pretty good. But let's say resmeterone and Maestro NASH just shows NASH resolution, uh, no clear benefit on fibrosis. Resmeterone has great effects on dyslipidemia, including lowering LDL. And both of these drugs, if you look at fibrosis, uh, we're talking about 20-23% range. If you look at NASH resolution, maybe 35-40% range. So it makes perfect sense from day one if we have two drugs to look at that combination of a THR beta and an FXR agonist, especially in a patient who's starting with F3 NASH. This potentially could be one of the first combinations that we will utilize. And uh, obviously, we will have data to support this, uh, but some providers may have two drugs to choose from, and it makes perfect rational sense to combine them. And I think this is the rationale for the new study with the TURNS pharmaceuticals. So they have their own THR beta and they have their own FXR agonist. And they're doing a combination uh, therapy trial now with these two agents. And I'm very excited to see what happens in terms of increasing efficacy, but also mitigating the usual side effects from an FXR agonist. Well, it makes good sense. And let me go back to the question about two versus three that Mazen raised we've been on. If I understand correctly, we've got three separate, possibly separate issues here. We have an issue of fibrosis, we have an issue of liver defatting, and then we have a metabolic issue. And the metabolic issue and defatting the liver can overrun each other, but they're hardly identical, if I get that right. Which might say that three is the right number, not two. I mean, 
it also so happens that the name, the trial that we're talking about, Sema Sila Farkosistan, is a three, each of which is targeted at one of those places. But in the end, is there a compelling logic for two versus three? Is it just going to depend on what the drugs are? And then I'll go back to my question, which is, if you add kidney as a fourth, or cardiovascular, is there any time that four is the right combination? But at some point, the law of unintended consequences is going to eat you alive. I'm just kind of wondering if we have any sense of where that is. Mazen Nuruddin. Yeah, so like there's inflammation, all this. Again, I'll go back to the least amount of the medic. We know we probably are not going to get away with one only, and I'm sorry to hijack the answer again, but when you're going to try your best to do two and not three, and the two will be hopefully having effect on the liver and other organs, heart, kidneys, obesity, and the liver one hopefully will have effect on fibrosis or even better inflammation of fibrosis because it's the most prognostic one. So adding is we should really add, we should go up from two to three when we really cannot get away with, with two. And four, we should make it really harder because it's a cost, multi-system. We know what's the disease prognosis. We know what is the, the most important factors in the disease. So we have to be realistic and not trade with the cost and side effects of medications. And polypharmacy, don't forget these patients are already patients that they have other issues, including diabetes, obesity, dyslipidemia. So hopefully one of these drugs will hit two birds with one stone or whatever you say to make sure it's it's being used for both liver and other indications that the patient has. But let me be the devil's advocate here and uh, just say that there will be patients that will actually just need one drug. I mean, if you have someone with uh, F2 NASH and liver stiffness on the lower end for F2, and let's say you start them on semaglutide and now they're losing weight, they lost 16, 17% of their total body weight, you hit already the cardiovascular outcomes, the weight loss, the dyslipidemia and insulin sensitivity improvement, and you see that your liver stiffness is coming down on NITs. Why would I need a second drug for this? The only piece that's missing is maybe the fibrosis. And um, the fact that we didn't see it in a phase 2B doesn't tell me that, you know, semaglutide will not have antifibrotic effects. In fact, we see this with bariatric surgery clearly, that fibrosis regression is the rule as opposed to the exception. So I see some patients that maybe they just need one NASH drug plus lifestyle intervention and they'll be okay. Maybe not for life, but for a long period of time. And if we see signs of progression, then maybe we can add a second drug. But I don't think we need to think, you know, we're going to do two drugs for everyone and then start talking about three and four. And keep in mind, many of these patients will come to us on a statin and a phenofibrate and potentially a GLP-1 agonist as part of treating their metabolic syndrome. Naim, I would, I would I totally agree with that. I, I mean, I'm not saying two is going to be the case scenario. Rather, I'm trying to minimize the number of drugs we use. And I'm, I'm in total agreement with what you said. And it goes back to a previous comments when I said it's going to really vary per patients and we just have to use our clinical sense in managing these patients and the example that you gave for F2 is um, I'm, t- I'm total agreement with it. Louise Campbell. Can I ask a dumb question? in relation to clinical trials. and Louise, I just asked six dumb questions in a row. You're going to have to go a long ways to catch up. Go ahead. So bringing in your point, Naeem, that these patients are going to come to us on other medications. If you were to write a new baby, because you only had 108 patients in this baby, and therefore the diversity isn't necessarily going to meet the criteria that we currently have, and we need to know which these drugs work in different populations. But if you then said as part of your... to 
alleviate the problem of the 16-week lead-in and finding the right patients who respond to SEMA. And obviously, this is a licensed drug around the world in multiple different areas, weight loss, obesity and diabetes. If you said your inclusion criteria for a trial with the other two medications was to have been stable on semaglutide for more than six months, would you be looking at the ability of semaglutide being implemented around the world in mass populations to be able to get that diversity? that you would need in different ethnicities, for example. Is that a way to approach these clinical studies to actually put that into the inclusion criteria? Because we know they come with our medications. We talk about these three medications, but they're on a whole host. So we use that as the benefit to developing the trials because they are a cohort of patients. Just so I understand you 100%, you're saying that we have patients that are already on semaglutide and they're on a stable dose for six months and then they're coming to us and we add uh, two <laughs> drugs from Gilead, Silofexor and Fersocostat. Is that the design you have in mind? Yeah, it, would you be able to d- write that? Because of course, semaglutide is used around the world in a lot of the populations that we target. Because they don't necessarily fibre scan or use Fib4 or any of the other techniques, we don't know the level and prevalence of F2 to F4 in those populations because it's not looked at. Yeah, it'll be interesting. The concept is not foreign. So like in hepatitis B studies now, we require that the patients are stable on their hepatitis B medication, which is usually a tenofovir version for a while. And then, you know, we add new medicines and we provide them with the tenofovir as part of the trial. So it could be done. My main concern is are these patients are already non-responsive to semaglutide because they're showing up with NASH and F2, F3 despite being on semaglutide for an extended period of time and are we going to see an added benefit in the trial with semaglutide or are we just testing the two other drugs as you know a treatment for NASH and we already selected a population that doesn't respond well to semaglutide but I think you know that's reasonable but speaking of babies Louise I'll tell you my next baby that we're working on already with this triple combination so here at the liver meeting in London, the ESO ILC, and you saw the data with Novo and cirrhotic patients, right, with the semaglutide monotherapy. And there was no clear benefit. I mean, maybe on some of the AI data, we saw a signal, but at the end of the day, I would say it was a negative trial. And semaglutide monotherapy did not help with NASH cirrhosis. So the next trial that we are doing with Gilead and Novo Nordisk is actually looking at over 400 patients with NASH cirrhosis, and then using this triple combination and retreating patients patients for 48 weeks. And the primary endpoint is fibrosis regression on biopsy. So this is the, the next baby. It's going to take probably another 18 months to see it being delivered. This is like an elephant baby. It's a big one. So the pregnancy is about three years. But we'll, we'll see. I think this will be very important for the field because, uh, I mean, obviously, nice cirrhosis is the highest bar. And if we can actually show a regression of fibrosis, that would be very impactful. But I'm optimistic because number one is semaglutide is a powerful drug. There's some data emerging now and I'll be able to share more with you guys on the effects of bariatric surgery on NASH cirrhosis because this has been a very controversial topic. You know, do you get improvement in fibrosis? So uh, give me about six months or so and we'll discuss this, but we have a new study coming on that. I'm encouraged by the ATLAS data looking at fersocostat and Silofexor, 56% cirrhotics and there was some signal on fibrosis regression on biopsy. So we'll see, but this is again probably 2024 uh, before we have the results. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. 
If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. The next three weeks will be devoted to previewing and then covering the Paris Nash meeting and the Easel Navaldi Summit. September is a brutal month for travel schedules and, as a result, podcast scheduling. We'll be using some hybrid episode designs, and both Jorn and Louise will miss some episodes. I'll be here for all of them. It will be a challenge and a bit of a wild ride for me, but if you know me by now, you know I love a challenge. So stick with us as we move through the month. If you're in the U.S., enjoy Labor Day. Wherever you are, enjoy the transition to what we hope will be more temperate weather. Stay safe and surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.